Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to, stay, to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christine. So we've been in uh, Luke talking about hospitality and Jesus, how he was such a glutton because he liked to eat so much. I guess that would make me a glutton too because I like to eat. (laughs) I feel like Jesus um, was just this, he challenged the conventional wisdom of the day and not just the wisdom but also the law that so many people ascribe to because they had missed the actual purpose of the law, which was an attempt to bring man closer to God. And as such, he received a lot of criticism because of who he ate with and how he ate and how everything um, was so different what he did. So to set up a little bit of the context in the latter part of Luke 14, I'm just going to read... from Luke 7, and uh, this is following a criticism. John is in prison at this time, and people are complaining. So in 7 and 33, it says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all of her children. And uh, there is a scripture in the law in Deuteronomy that says the way you can tell a prophet is what they say if it comes true. And everything that Jesus said came true. Wisdom is justified by all of her children. And before we get to chapter 14, Jesus is being very confrontational with a lot of the Pharisees and uh, showing them that they are of the wrong spirit. And he's healing people on the Sabbath. He's doing these things that are very controversial, which people would not do. But he also could address their hearts before they said anything with a wisdom that dumbfounded everyone. And um, as we're talking about us coming to the table Luke continually uses this language to talk about the spirit. He speaks of the spirit of God more than anybody does. And he speaks of the kingdom of God. 
and the table begins to take and form and transform into this metaphor for us, how do we enter into the kingdom? How do we do so? How do we make the bridge from the very Jewishness of Jesus in the context that he lived in to the Gentile, the door being open for Gentiles to come freely at his table? And it's no small thing when this faith has been protected by such a small group of people and Jesus is beginning to fling that door wide open to whoever should come. And this amazing good news um, turns into this unspeakable joy in the process. And in Luke 14, it, Jesus is using two feasts to speak about the kingdom. So in the beginning of Luke 14, it says, And now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, he had swelling. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then they, he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. This sounds like a setup, you know? <laughs> Seriously, in chapter 13, Jesus had healed a woman on the Sabbath in a synagogue. And he's addressing the Pharisees and calling them all kind of stuff. So they say, all right, we're going to invite him over for dinner. But also, we're going to invite someone who is very obviously has an ailment physical swelling in their body to see what he's going to do on the Sabbath. It's just like, you know, he's like walking straight into the lion's den. He is not, um, he's very familiar with his call. He's very familiar with his anointing and his place that God has put him um, on earth. But they're missing the whole purpose of the law, which is to bring us closer to God in his presence, in his healing, in his presence there is fullness of joy all that we need is found there, yet and still there are some instances where his love should be locked off. And the Pharisees have got the law, but they're forgetting the foundation of the law. And Jesus takes the man and heals him. And he honors him in a way that I believe speaks so much to us. How many times do policies, do plans, do traditions do organizations take priority over a single person? Because we are adhering to some ancient tradition or we're adhering to, this is just the way we do things. Um, anybody who's ever been in the, in the court system for any amount of time would understand that it is a grinding process that is not built to make us feel loved. <laughs> is built to adhere to a certain amount of, um, of structure and of policy. And Jesus breaks it all down by saying, you're adhering to the Sabbath and saying this man can't be healed at that time when it's all built for us honoring each other. Not long ago, I went to a, on a missions trip 
or it was a while ago, in, in Mozambique, and it was this lady there, her name is Heidi Baker, who has a, been a missionary for over 30 years in Mozambique. And she has this phrase that like perfectly sums up the compassion that we're supposed to have, and it is, it is said to stop for the one. Stop for the one. And that can be hard to do, even physically as we're walking through life, we're on the way to a meeting and we're late for the meeting and somebody's like, hey, can I talk to you a second? You're like, oh, man, <laughs> I got to go. I don't want to be late. After chapter 14 comes the famous parables of Jesus talking about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the son. He is arraying all of his um, purpose and presence predicated on each person the ministry and the love to one person to stop and honor them. Don't let any policy, don't let any organizational tradition keep you from loving one person. The whole gospel is built upon that. And Jesus is showing them in their presence that it's actually a law in Deuteronomy. That if you find a lost sheep, or if you find somebody's goat, or if you find somebody's ox, take possession of it and take care of it until you find the person that it belongs to. So Jesus is saying, even in the law, a provision has been made for people who are lost. A provision has been made for somebody who's suffering, who needs healing. But we become so rote in our adherence to a pu Just tell me what I have to do. Just give me the list for all the listy people out there. Give me a list. All right, here's the list. Here's the list of what you need to do. But don't forget the purpose. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. We learn to honor one person. It is in that context that Jesus is talking about eating and in the kingdom and this great, amazing, wonderful wedding banquet in the presence of these Pharisees who were trying to set him up. He's like, oh, I got to set up for you, homie. <laughs> like, did, did he think about all this stuff before he got in there? Or was it just by, by the spirit that he could be so aware of his context, so aware of where he was, the, the, you know, he was getting secret memos from heaven. Like, he, he knew exactly what to say to have his speech seasoned with salt in every moment. And he's not done here. He's not done there, you know. He's, he's got some more for them. Honoring. We're learned we're learn to honoring people here. And he continues on in, um, in chapter 7, so 14 and 7. So he told them a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, that he may say to you, friend, go up higher then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then he also said to him and invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, 
Do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And this is the wedding feast. And he's explaining who exactly we should invite. This is as if we are inviting someone to a wedding who we know is not bringing a gift. <laughs> inviting someone um, that we know is not going to be able to repay us or even invite us to the wedding, which is happening the next year. He is encouraging us to live a life of love and live a life of ambition, um, ambition to be humble, and ambition into humility. And it's so hard to balance that in this world because I don't want to get left behind. I see people streaking past me at a million miles an hour, especially living in the city. They're climbing a ladder. What am I supposed to do? I have to take the highest seat. This is an encouragement for us to yield that trust into the Lord. Humility truly is trusting the Lord to do what you can't do for yourself anyway. We only believe we can do it for ourselves. We only believe that we can be a self-made man or a self-made woman. But there are so many things that he can do by his spirit. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by his spirit. Let us learn to be humble and to humble ourselves so that we are not humiliated by having to take a lower seat. And sometimes... God wants to give us what we want to take ourselves. Let, let me get it for you. I got it. Let me, I want to give it to you in a timing. Yeah, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Yes, you're going to have to be frustrated. Yes, you're not going to know exactly how it's going to work out. But the ambition of the world is not the ambition that we're called to. The ambition to elbow and move people out of the way and say it was all for God's glory is not what we're called to. That our only obligation is to trust and to love in him and not to pile more on our plate, to use a table analogy. He is a loving father who doesn't want us to steal what he's been planning to give us the whole time. How do I know this timing? What is going on? How's it supposed to work? <laughs> Take a lower seat, and I will call you up into the place that you're supposed to be, which is difficult, which is difficult to do. And Jesus came into this context. He knew how to lovingly rebuke people, and the Pharisees are all reclining at the most you know, prestigious place. They're in their couches. They're like, yeah, we're paying attention to the law. We know exactly what we're doing. He's like, let me go ahead and knock you down a couple notches, homie. Exactly what is supposed to happen. You're supposed to come in and take the lowest place with our ambition 
we have missed the purpose of the law, which is for us to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. And he will exalt us in due time. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. That sounds like it's upside down, Lord. Like, people walk around and they puff their chest and they brag about everything they have, usually at dinner parties, you know, the dinner party talk. What school are you going to? What kind of degrees do you have? All that stuff. And God is like, I, I have such a plan to give to you. Anybody can witness in here that when you wait on the Lord, it's so much saucier than when you do it yourself. It's so much better because he brings a blessing and he adds no trouble to it. How do I know if I'm doing it myself or is the Lord doing it? Because if I'm doing it myself, a lot of trouble, anxiety, trouble, worry comes along with it. Not peace and not rest. And this is what he's telling them. And also, when you invite someone, don't invite people that are going to pay you back. Don't use it as a political way to move through life. Invite people who can pay you nothing back, because trust me, I will give you everything by my spirit if you're considering those who can give you nothing. Everyone who is unmarried in here, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice. You always want to see the way the person you're dating or going to marry treats people that can do nothing for them. That exposes our heart in a way that I believe is very much folded into the gospel. Why is it that Jesus... Where, where does he put his truth? Where does he put his love? Where, he, where does he put his place? Where does he put his, his presence? He hides it on the margins because he knows the margins will never be popular so that the purity of he, who he is can remain there. We are men. We are women. We consolidate. We build towers. We build big buildings. We are, you know, being impressive. And Jesus is saying it is those who humble themselves that will be exalted. So invite somebody poor, invite somebody maimed and blind to your wedding, which is just counterintuitive. Normally because it's a destination wedding and you got to pay for it yourself anyway. <laughs> How are you going to invite me somewhere and I got to pay a plane ticket to go there? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> me and my wife um, my beautiful wife back there hey honey what's up <laughs> we got married in Africa and so usually the question that follows that is are you African uh kinda <laughs> I was born in California man I'm, just, I'm about as American as you are um, but we went there on a missions trip, and during this missions trip, we were engaged. And it's a three-month-long missions trip with um, uh, this lady that I spoke about, Heidi Baker. And you're in Mozambique, and it's in, in this town called Pemba, and you're dirty all the time. You may not have running water. It was just 
um, it was amazing. <laughs> because you start to really understand the things that are important in life as opposed to our, you know, Western trappings and conveniences. And it feels as if the Lord is just really, really close because we don't have all of the things that are in between us. And we went out there and we were engaged and people were like, this would be awesome, you should get married here. We were like, yeah, that's what we're gonna do, we're gonna get married here. And it, it felt like God was telling us to give it up. Pemba is a town that is right on the Indian Ocean, you know, beautiful white sand beaches and it would just be an amazing wedding. God was like, give it up, don't do it. All right, God, we're going to give it up. But remember how I said sometimes God wants to give you things. He doesn't want you to take it. He gives me a dream, and in a dream, he says, if this person comes and talks to you tomorrow, that's how you know you're supposed to get married here. Out of 120 students, I tell my wife this in the morning, out of 120 students, this person comes to us and starts asking us about, like, how we met, how'd you guys get together? So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's how we know we're supposed to get married here. And... We met with Heidi. She was like, sure, I'll marry you. That would be awesome. Let's invite the whole village. We're going to invite everybody. It should be probably about uh, five or 600 people. I had a picture, but the slides aren't working. Let's invite about five, 600 people, see who shows up, and we'll give them soda, and we'll give them chicken. Because in their context, it's rice and beans and matapas. Matapas is like greens. All year long, twice a year on the holidays do they get chicken and soda. So hey, this is an opportunity, opportunity to invite everyone in. And uh, we fed everyone for $1,200. Thank you, Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's considering a destination win. <laughs> and so all the students helped. Um, we got to invite you know, all these children who didn't have parents. We got to invite people from the village. And it was such a glorious time of living this, of living the wedding feast and inviting people who couldn't possibly repay us back. And many times I feel that we live in the, what do you, you could call it, glow or the anointing or the momentum of that moment of God, it says in Proverbs that um, when you lend to the poor, you give to the Lord. Or when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and he doesn't pay back without interest. And in this moment, Jesus is encouraging us to trust and, and give. And now we'll get to the original passage that Christine read, starting in Luke 14 and 16. And then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they with all one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I'm busy. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets, into the lane of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. 
And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go onto the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Oh, man! And in these times when you had a banquet like this, what you did is you sent out invitations. And this would, this would probably drive administrators or planners crazy. So you sent out invitations. You told them the date, but you didn't tell them the time. You just said, okay, September 21st, I'm having a banquet. And at the time, you sent out the servants to go get people. So you had to respond to the initial invitation, so they had already accepted the initial invitation, but they were busy when the servant showed up to say, hey, it's time to go right now. And they said, hey, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I just got married. A lot of these are even references to specific laws. Laws that said in Deuteronomy, once you get married, you can't have, you can't go fight in a war for at least a year after you get married. So they were good, they were good things, they were good excuses. But the king is upset because they haven't answered his invitation. Just go and get everybody and bring them in there. Just bring them in. And I ask my question, and have I become a Pharisee in this context as Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees? Have I had a lot of excuses of what I could do besides come? God doesn't care how you come, why you come, but just that you do. But just that you come to the feast. And I begin to see this as the, the, the loving father sending out Jesus to bring people into the feast. And he's ministering, and he's saying, hey, come on, the Father is here. He's ready. Let's go into the Father's presence. Let's go to the table. The kingdom is breaking forth. And the Pharisees are saying, I have a lot of laws to hide behind right now. I can't do it. I got some really important things to do. And I can look at this and say, oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee. I'm glad that I would answer that call, but would I? Would I? And I pray that we, at this moment, see the, the grace with which he sends out his servants to receive people and come to his table. Father, how do I become hungry enough to accept your invitation? I'm very conscious of our ability to take on obligations, to take on things that we have to do. And the only obligation that we have as believers is to accept an invitation to a party. What does that look like? Accept an invitation to a party, to be in his presence. He's showing us how we offer hospitality but he's also showing us how he offers hospitality to us. How his presence is always accessible to us. Anytime we want it. It's like we're walking around with the table. <laughs> how, we are, how we are, we become that 
that welcome for others, but how he's constantly welcoming us into his kingdom with no agenda, just to be close to him. And if you're hearing, I'm piling something further onto your plate, that's not, what hap- that's, what's, that's not what's happening. That's not my heart's desire. My heart's desire is to say, will you accept the inv- invitation into his presence? Will you accept the invitation to be enthralled with the greatest ongoing party of the last two millennia. And that's what Jesus is calling us into. Because in his presence is everything that we need. And I love this, that he's, you know, I guess it shows you that God gets pissed off, you know? (laughs) They're not coming. They have so many things to do. Go invite everyone. What is it that the marginalized, that those who are poor, maimed, blind have that I need to make sure I keep in my life? It is a hunger. It is a hunger, a desire to be in the king's presence. It is a hunger, a desire to be at the table. When we see how he's prepared everything for us, to enter into it. We know that when we come to the table, we receive honor that we don't deserve. We receive humility that we need, and we begin to cultivate a life of hunger. Why? How could I possibly make excuses? Because I can afford my own food, king. I don't need to come to your table. I can afford to meet my own needs, king. I don't need to come to your table. And God is like, I've been sending out this invitation to the Israelites for so long and they don't want to answer? Okay, I'm opening it up to everyone, whoever so will, let them come. And because of that, I get to enter into this table and I'm going to take every opportunity I can to do so. To be with him, to answer it. And very often the spirit of God moving in our lives is just, is, is just an invitation. It's not attempting to put a heavy weight. If it feels like a heavy weight, it's not God. Now there's a difference. There's conviction. There's things that God is doing it that encourages us to act and transform things that we have in our life. But it's an invitation into it that we can say no to at any time. But oh, when we say yes. Prayer without obedience is like having a Christmas list, but not unwrapping your presence. They both go together. We pray and believe, but we also unwrap his presence. You want to come on up there? So I want to pray for you. I want to pray that not only are we not becoming 
pharisaical, if that is a word. <laughs> we are coming to the Lord's table with enthusiasm. Anybody who knows me knows I like enthusiasm. Um, and that word literally means, comes from the Greek word entheos, to be in God. To be joyfully answering his call to be with him. Which is, we don't have people between us, we don't have time, distance, space between us anymore. Anytime a simple prayer happens in it, begins to transform that space. So I'm just ask you to be bold if you would like a an upgrade in your desire to be at his table, would you stand? And I just want to pray for you in this moment. He who is faithful will come. And he doesn't come with judgment. Um, he doesn't come with where you've been all this time. He comes with, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you answered the invitation and came to the table. Because this is what he sent his son for. Father, I just pray right now. You put your hand on your heart. Father, I just pray right now for an awakening of hunger an awakening of hunger. That there are so many things that we can't fill with what exists in the world, but there is a passion that only comes directly from your throne that teaches us how to honor. And how can I ever show hospitality if I don't know that I'm welcome? And I thank you for that in this moment, Father for us understanding that we are welcome at any time to come boldly to your throne room and to, and to sit and recline with you, Father. I thank you that it is not important for us to start where we left off. It's important for us to start from where we are. Let that desire, that hunger be stirred in us to be with you in your presence. In this season, I remove any burdens that have been falsely placed on people by the world or even ourselves. I remove those right now in Jesus' name and say there is a freedom. There is a freedom by his spirit to be enthusiastic, to be in Theos, to be in God to be found in him. And I thank you, God. I thank you, Father, for who you made us to be.